2 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to look at verse 24 to start with. And then I'll let you be seated. 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 24. Be reading this morning from the NIV, 2 Samuel chapter 24 and verse 24. If you got it or you see it on the screen, would you say amen? But the king replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. I want to speak to you this morning, again out of the life of David, on the subject, does worship cost you nothing. Would you pray with me? Father, we just thank you. Praise you so much. Thank you that you are here in this place. Thank you for the worship. Thank you for all that has gone forth. Thank you for the worship in song, the worship in giving. And Lord, now we come to this place, Lord, where we break the bread of life together. We just ask, oh Lord, that you would just have your way in this place, oh Lord. I pray that you would just anoint me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. Lord, use me in a very powerful way. Open every heart every mind and spirit. And Lord, we just thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated here this morning. Does worship cost you nothing? We look again, as I said, into the life of David. We find at the beginning of chapter 24 here, and we'll be going throughout this entire chapter today, here in in, in, uh, 2 Samuel. And in the beginning of this chapter, we find that David has told his general, Joab, to take a census of all of the fighting men in the land. Now, Joab, if you study into this and read about the life of David, and Joab was his general, he was very uh, very much a part of David's life most of the time as he was king and as he was a ruler. Uh, you read about Joab and you find that he was certainly not a saint. Uh, he was certainly not the guy that you would really look to for uh, a lot of sensitive, spiritual advice. But even Joab here began to try to persuade David not to do this, but David refused to listen even to Joab. Now, in this, we find something here. Taking a census is not a sin. In fact, there were times where God himself instructed Israel and Israel's leaders to do so, to count, to take a census, to find out the number of people that were there. In fact, not too many books ahead of this, we know that there was an entire book in the Bible called Numbers. So numbers in itself and taking a census in itself was not the sin. However, we find it was the motive behind it that angered God. The motive behind it all came down to this. David's pride pushed him 
to take this census. If you know anything about David, then you know that David was a warrior. David was a man who knew how to win. He knew how to fight. He knew how to win. He did whatever it took in order to win. David, and, and as I told you that there's a book that I've read before by Dr. Mark Rutland, you read about that. One thing about David that many Christians today try to do that you just can't do is you cannot fit Old Testament David into a New Testament Christian perspective. Here's the bottom line. David lived in Old Testament times. David lived in a more of a barbaric, uncivilized world than we do now. But even in this time, David was a man who shed so much blood that we find that God said, what, David, I love you, but you cannot build my temple because your hands have shed far too much blood for me allow, to allow that to happen. So when you begin to learn about David, and you know that David was a guy that liked to win, a guy that liked to fight, a guy that knew how to do both well, you find that the push behind this was that David wanted to be able to number and say that he had a mighty, numerous army. And it was the motive behind this census that angered God. So here's what, if you're taking notes or you're listening at all, here's you as something good to write down, or you could even tweet it or, or put it out on Facebook or wherever you want to, and that is is this, that motives matter. Y'all are quiet again this Sunday. That's all right. <laughs> motives matter. A lot of times we just want to take actions and say it all just comes down to actions, but it's not just about actions. It comes down to motives in the eyes of God. Now, when it comes to me, your pastor, when it comes to other people, maybe your boss, maybe your parents, no matter who it may be, sometimes we can hide the motives, and it seems like only the actions matter, but to God. Motives matter. In fact, in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 7, the Lord speaking here says, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So now here's what's ironic about this scripture, that this is the very scripture when Samuel showed up at Jesse's house looking for a king. God had told Samuel, go to Jesse's house. The guy that's going to take Saul's place is one of his sons. And Samuel shows up there, and I, he sees son number one, and I believe his name was Eliab. Don't quote me on that one. But he sees Saul, son number one, and Samuel looks at the outside. And there's no doubt that by looking at Eliab, he had to have been strong. He had to have been good looking. He had to have been rough and tough. He had to have been exactly what you want to see in a king. And Samuel said, this has got to be the one. And that's when God stopped him and said, Samuel, that's not him. You see, my, my requirements and my qualifications are different than what yours are. That's when God said, man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. You see, uh, one more time, motives 
matter. God sees what nobody else sees. Can I tell you all something? I have in my position, in my line of work, if you want to say it that way, you know, I have looked and I've looked to hire people for different things and helped other people look. And, you know, sometimes you can find people. In fact, I had a conversation once with a pastor and he was looking for a couple. He was looking for somebody that he could hire and he found this particular couple and they looked the part. They looked really, really good. But unfortunately, when I had to give a reference, I had to give a reference and tell the guy the truth. And he told me this. He's like, man, I was so excited because they looked the part. They, they looked just like what I was looking for. You see, it matters. Motives matter. If it doesn't matter to anybody else, motives matter to God. Folks, I'm telling you this, in everything that we do, we can look the part. We can fool everybody else around us. You can fool me. You can fool everyone, but you cannot fool God, and it's not just about what you do and not just about what you don't do. God is looking on the inside of us. He is looking at our hearts. Motives matter. And it was the motives behind this census that caused the wrath of God to be poured out. And if anybody should have known this, obviously it should have been David. But let's just all be honest. There's a whole lot of us, I believe, sitting in this room right here that have known better about things before. But even people that know better, can, can I say it like this? I hope y'all don't get offended. Even us people that know better make stupid decisions sometimes, don't we? Even us people that know better make stupid decisions sometimes that don't please God. So here's my first point. First of all, David's sin came with consequences. You see, we find that David realized that he had messed up even before judgment came. I told you we're going to be going through this chapter, so turn back with me. If you'll go on back to verse 8 of chapter 24 here. Verse 8 of chapter 24, we're going to read through verse 10 right now. After they had gone through the entire land, they came back to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days. Joab reported the number of fighting men to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 able-bodied men who could handle a sword. And in Judah, 500,000. David, look at this, David was conscience-stricken after he had counted the fighting men. And he said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Now, O Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. You see, I believe that all of us have had those moments where not very long after a mistake, we realize that we have made a 
mistake. Now, you don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to. But I know I've been there before. I've been at a place where I have messed up, and I no longer get done messing up to immediately the Holy Ghost on the inside is like, you should not have done that. You should not have said that. How many of you still believe in the convicting power of the Holy Ghost here? I mean, I've been there before where I've done something or said something or or even said it in a wrong way, and suddenly the Holy Spirit of God convicts us after just a moment, and we realize that we have made a mistake. Now, David, we find right here where I read you, repented. One of the greatest characteristics of David was his willingness to admit that he was wrong and repent of his wrongdoings. There's a lot of mistakes that we can look at in the life of David, but there's a lot of good qualities also. And one of the best qualities that we find in the life of David was that he was willing to admit when he had messed up, when he had made a mistake, and he would repent before the Lord and ask God's forgiveness. Folks, that is not just a one-time-in-your-life deal. Repentance is not just a one-and-done deal. I don't know what you've been raised up in. I don't know what you've been taught. But repentance is not just a one-time deal. That one time you come and bow at an altar and ask the Lord for forgiveness. No, absolutely not. You see, I believe that all throughout our lives, I have got to continue to come to the Lord and ask for his forgiveness when I have messed up. Right now up the hill on Wednesday nights, I've been talking about the Lord's Prayer and Part of the Lord's prayer is forgive us of our sins. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It should be a part of our daily lives that we say, Lord, forgive me where I have messed up. Forgive me where I have failed you. We must learn from David and not become hard-hearted and act like that we have no mistakes and act like that we have never failed, but we must be willing to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me when I fail. We've got to be repentant. We've got to be willing to say, Lord, I've messed up. And David did that. He repented. He admitted that he was wrong. And then we find that the Lord sent a word to David. Pick up now on verse 11 before David got up the next morning. The word of the Lord had come to Gab, the prophet, David's seer. Go and tell David, this is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, Shall there come unto you three years of famine in your land? That's number one. Number two, or three months of fleeing from your enemies while they pursue you. That's two. And now number three, or three days of plague in your land. Now then, think it over and decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel, from that morning until the end of the time designated, and 70,000 of the people from Dan to Beersheba died. 
When the angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord was grieved because of the calamity and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, Enough, withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord uh, was then at the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. And when David saw the angel who was striking down the people, he said to the Lord, I am the one who has sinned and done wrong. These are but sheep. What have they done? Let your hand fall upon me and my family. So we see something here that, once again, probably won't put me on the New York Times bestseller list. But we find that David, even though he repented, finds out that there are consequences to face for his sins and his actions. I want you to hear me that I am certainly a firm believer that there is grace and there is mercy and there is forgiveness in the blood of Christ. And I don't believe that eternally that we will have to answer for those sins once it's been put under the blood. But here's the bottom line. Here on this planet, here on this earth, there are repercussions for our sins. There are repercussions that happen because of sin that we allow to happen in our life. And David was no stranger to that. Because we find that earlier at on, he had experienced this before in the death of a child. You remember what probably the greatest failure that we recognize in the life of David was with that with him and Bathsheba. That he had looked down from his roof and he had saw this woman bathing. Um, the woman who was a wife of another man calls her in, has relations with her, gets her pregnant, then tries to cover it up and ends up murdering her husband. And what happens in that? God forgave him of his sin, but we find that ultimately that that child ended up dying because of the sin. And now, once again, he sees that his sin not only affects him, but it affects those around him. He had seen it affect his baby, and he had seen the long-standing consequences. Again, I don't have time to dig into all of it, but you look at the life of David, and you start seeing some falling dominoes after he let that sin happen in his life, and suddenly he starts letting things go in his family until finally his life and his family becomes absolute chaos. Now he finds that because of this sin that his nation will suffer. Please listen to your pastor this morning. I wish, I wish it was true what some people say. Oh, you know, it's my life. Whatever I want to do, it only affects me. No, it does not. Never does sin just affect us. It always affects those around us. I'm not going to testify for them, but I guarantee you next week you'll hear some testimonies from some ladies and maybe even some of the men that drugs and, and the addictions, how it has affected not only them, but affected their families, affected their parents, affected their children. Sin never 
just affects you. Please listen to me today. I don't care what anybody tries to tell you and how they try to lie to you. It is not just your life. We are not just individuals here. We are all connected. God has made us as people that we need each other and we rely on each other. We like to try to like we're so act like we're so individualistic, but the bottom line is that God created us as people. And that we are people of community as he has made us. And our sins never just affect us. So now we find something that is very, very unusual. Nowhere else do I know of in scripture or in history. I'm not going to say it didn't because I know that there's a lot of things that God could have done that he never told me about. Somebody say amen. But never anywhere in Scripture do I ever read anything like this except for here. That because of his sin, God gives David three choices. Three consequences. He can choose one because of his sin. Now, in some ways you think about this and you think about, well, that wouldn't be such a bad thing that you could choose your consequences but then you really begin to think about it and you think man that would really be a lot of pressure wouldn't it especially for this man especially what ends up happening especially because of the lives that were destroyed and the people that have died in fact we found in verse 15 right there that 70,000 people died and the weight and the guilt of 70,000 people was then on David's life and his conscience? Uh, folks, I don't know about y'all, but I'm, I, don't, I don't want that on my conscience. It was, a, it was such pressure. His decision is to put his and his nation then in the hands of God rather than man. Verse 14, David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into the hands of men. You see, David knew something. He knew this, that no matter how tough God was, in the end, he is always such a merciful and loving God. You know, there's a lot of people that you start talking about consequences and all that, immediately they just turn off, a, oh, how can God do that? If he's such a loving God, how can he allow any of that to happen? Folks, we've become so stinking soft that we think that it's unjust if there's any consequences for anything. God was ultimately merciful. And David knew this. And he said, I don't want famine. I sure don't want to have to run from my enemies and be at the mercy of the hands of man. He said, put me at the mercy of God. And we find that obviously his choice was very wise. Why? Because we read in verse 25 there, he said, David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings. Then the Lord answered prayer in behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was 
stopped. Also, in verse 16, you find before any of that happened, when the angel stretched down his hand to destroy Jerusalem, the Lord was grieved because of the calamity and said to the angel who was afflicting the people, Enough! Here we find, we find a picture of a God that is just, a God that does send consequences to our sins, but yet a God who even in the punishment, his heart was moved. And he said, We've had, stop, stop, stop. So we find David, number two, in the middle of his punishment, chose to sacrifice to and worship the Lord. Here we see a flawed man, an imperfect man, a man who has messed up. But we also see what God always saw in him back when he was tending his father's sheep, that he was truly a man after God's own heart. Right here, many of us might have chosen to be mad at God in the time of punishment or sometimes even at our best just simply pray for mercy. But to worship God at this point is remarkable. 70,000 people have died because of David's consequences, because of David's sin, and because then David chose the consequences. 70,000 people had already died, and the angel that was striking down the people, even though the God, God had told him to stop, we find that the angel was still there waiting in position. But David, in the middle of it all, chose to worship God right there in the middle of his problem. Folks, I just got to tell you, this again is one of the things, one of the reasons why God said he is a man after my own heart. That David, even though things were falling apart and things were going bad, I told you last week, he was at one, the lowest point he had ever been to that point. And now we find him again at a pretty bad spot where he has cost 70,000 people their life. And the angel is right there waiting at the capital of city of Jerusalem, ready to destroy even more. And what does David say? I am going to worship the Lord. Folks, I need to tell you at your lowest point, I need to tell you even when you have messed up and I have messed up, that it is always appropriate to stop and to worship the one who is always worthy of our worship. Listen, my, my mess up does not change the worthiness of God to be worshipped. Your mess up does not change the worthiness of God to be worshipped. God is always worthy of our praise. Now this is something interesting. The punishment was directed at the sin. It was David's pride of a large army that God had brought punishment fitting to the sin. Now I'm not going to get into a whole lot of examples but I want you to think about that. That many times, many times when God allows punishment to come, many times he allows it to be directed at the point of our sin. That is why, listen, that is why God's not just doing it to be mean. 
God is doing it to teach us something. We as parents don't punish our kids to be mean. We punish our kids. Why? To teach them and correct them. The prophet Gad tells David to go and build an altar on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. Look at verse 18. On that day, Gad went to David and said to him, Go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So we find that the Lord has, has told him through the prophet, I want you to go and I want you to build an altar. I want you now. Now it goes from just worship to sacrifice. Oh, y'all aren't ready for this. That's all right. So number three here, we find David was determined not to sacrifice to God anything that cost him nothing. We find that David obeyed the word of the Lord from the prophet. Look at verse 19. So David went up, as the Lord had commanded through Gad. When Aruna looked and saw the king and his men coming toward him, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your threshing floor, David answered, so I can build an altar to the Lord so that the plague on the people may be stopped. Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take whatever he pleases him and offer it up. Here are oxen for the burnt offering. Here are the threshing sledges and the ox yokes for the wood. O king, Aruna gives all this to the king, Aruna said to him. May the Lord your God accept you. But the, lord, but the king replied, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So we find, of course, this whole story started with a mess up of David. But one thing that David usually did was that David usually would learn and he usually would not mess up again. There's a message, I can't even remember if I preached it here or not, a message, and I think Dr. Hill preached it at Grenada the other night about when David brings the Ark of the Covenant back. And the first time he tried, he messed up. Uzzah died. But he learned from his mistake, and he fixed it the next time. So here David had already messed up, but he was determined he was not going to do that again. Listen to me this morning. Don't you let one mistake keep you headed in the wrong direction. Amen. A few of y'all got that. I said don't let one mistake keep you headed in the wrong direction. It's like when people start a diet on Monday morning, end up eating French fries for supper, and say, I'm going to get back on track next Monday. Come on now, y'all know what I'm talking about. You know, you hear, oh, I'm, I'm about to go on a diet. I'm about, to, I'm about to get in shape. I'm about to do it. And what happens? They do good Monday for breakfast. You know, they get them a, a shake or something. They eat, then lunch, they eat them a salad or something. Then what happens Monday night? They just, they just fall off the wagon and they get some cheese, some bacon cheese fries or something. <laughs> and they're like, well, I messed up. I'll start over next Monday. Come on now. But we do, you know, people do that also in their spiritual walk. They mess up. 
they fall short. And more than that, I just, I just get, I'm, I'm going to give up. I've messed up. I've fallen short. Everybody's going to know I messed up. Everybody's going to laugh at me. Nobody's going to have confidence at me. God's got to be mad at me. I just, I'm just going to quit now while I'm ahead. Please listen to me today. Don't you let one mess up keep you on the track of mess ups. Yes, you messed up. We all mess up. But repent of it and get moving again in the right direction. Learn from your mistakes. Don't just repeat them. Oh, that's good. I'm going to say that again. Learn from your mistakes. Don't just repeat them. Aruna now has the king show up at his threshing floor. Now, this is a big deal. This is a, a, a huge deal. Aruna is there. Now, I know that over the last few years, we've just, we've, we've just got ridiculous. But can I take you back? Can we go back? Let's pretend it's like 20 or 30 years ago. And you may not even like the president back then. But let's just be honest. Let's, let's go back a few years back when everybody just didn't hate the guy that they didn't vote for. And there was the honor of the office. Let's just take it back to 30 years ago. Can you imagine if you're sitting at your house and suddenly the motorcade pulls up? The bikes, the, the motorcycle police, they leading the way. And then it's the, the, the suburbans and all of a sudden the big limo pulls up. And that's a sad horn there. And all of a sudden... Out of this limousine comes the President of the United States. Can you imagine that? That you're there in your house, you're not expecting it, and suddenly the President of the United States, I mean, you wouldn't you just be, what in the world is going on here? I mean, why, why in the world is the President at my house? Well, here's Aruna, and, and he's here at his threshing floor, and lo and behold, who shows up? The king. King David shows up right here at his place. And he's like, oh, king, what? This is RDL version here. King, man, I'm so glad to see what bows down. He's like, what, what can I do for you? Why are you here? And he says, and the king says, I, I need your threshing floor. And so is any person that would like to get in good graces with the guy in charge, come on, somebody. He's like, you king, you can have it. You have my threshing floor. You have, I got, here's the oxen over here. There's the yokes. You can break up the yokes. That's your wood. There's your oxen for your sacrifice. And anything you want, it is yours right now for free. You don't owe me anything. I just want to do it for you because you are the king. He's willing to give him whatever he wants. Listen to this. Aruna was going to make worship and sacrifice easy for David. So many today want worship to be easy. I'm going to just let you marinate on that just a second. We in the church especially, I'm, I'm just going to say in America, because I've been to other countries and ain't, it ain't quite like that. But we in America over the last 10, 
20 years have just spent countless, countless hours and everything that we possibly can to make worship as easy as possible. We want the temperature to be comfortable. Now, I'm thankful the air works again. I'm not going to lie about that. We want the seats to be comfortable. We want it all to be at a convenient time. We want everybody to have their favorite style of music and maybe even once in a while sing everybody's favorite song. We don't want to conflict and schedule with any of the other things that people have going on in their lives. We want to try to make it as easy as possible. Folks, I'm telling you, we have ruined ourselves. I remember a few years back when I was in Nicaragua, we had went on this. It was me and my friend Michael and state youth director at the time, Dwayne Morey, and we had went over there, and we were kind of scouting out before we took a bunch of youth groups there. And we were there, and they were having their national youth convention there. It was at the Assembly of God's campground. And, man, there was like 5,000 or more kids at this thing. And we got to hearing some of the stories and how some of them had gotten on a bus without air conditioning and driven through the night to get to the conference. We were there. It was an open-air thing. There was no air conditioning in the worship service. The seats were not padded. They were the white plastic, and I know some other places I've been, these were actually nice. They were the white plastic patio chairs, you know, the old hard plastic. You can stack like 500 of them up, you know what I'm talking about. The seats were that. I went to a local church after that. And I know that we, we want to be as safe and we want to be a, a, as careful as possible in all the codes and lawsuits. But I went to a, the local church that Sunday and I went to a Sunday school class. And they had a building and the building for them was extremely nice. But the building was like half finished. And you had to dodge construction to get up into this corner over here where they were having Sunday school with, again, no air conditioning, but they were blessed because at least there was a roof where they would get rained and the sun beating down on them. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying that we have ruined ourselves. We have spent so much time as a church trying to make worship as easy and convenient and cost you as little as possible. But folks, when I read this right here and I find and I look at this story, I find something that God expects more out of our worship than just giving him the easiest thing that we've got. David was a man after God's own heart, and he understood something. You see, Aruna's gift would have enabled David to perform a religious service in a cheap and an inexpensive manner. But David recognized the obligations that belong to him. Oh, we don't like to talk about this in the church anymore. But folks, can I tell you, as a believer, as a Christian, as a servant of the Most High God that there are obligations that I have toward the one who has saved my soul.
David said, no, I'm going to pay full price for your threshing floor, full price for your oxen, full price for the yokes that will burn as the wood for the sacrifice. And he purchased, this was the hill that would eventually hold the temple. He said, I am going to buy it, and I'm going to buy I don't even want a discount on this, Aruna. I am not going to sacrifice to God something that costs me nothing. The principle not only applies to gifts of money, but to thought, effort, time, talents, relationships, and influence. Even deeper than that, the rejection of ease, pleasure, and convenience. To endure pain, opposition, dishonor, and shame. Oh God, this I know this is deep for a Sunday morning. But God's got expectations. His expectations are in Exodus chapter 34 and verse 20. He said, none shall appear before me empty. Deuteronomy 16 and 16 says, every man as he is able. Leviticus 22, 21 and 25 say, it shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein, neither from a stranger's hand. In other words, men were required to offer what was valuable, not what was worthless, and what was their own and not somebody else's. You know, I know some. I know it's a lot of times a joke, but how many of you before, this dates me a little bit, but you remember probably 10, 15 years ago, every once in a while, somebody get up, take up the offer and say, you know, reach over and take your neighbor's wallet and get ready to give a good gift. Come on, anybody ever heard that before? Y'all know you have. I know sometimes there's fun in that and it's just joking around. But the Lord here said he makes sure it's yours, not a stranger's. Now, hold on, even the poorest of the poor were not exempt. Because we find that the Lord made exceptions. He said this. He said, you need to give what is yours. It should be perfect to be accepted. No blemish therein. It's going to be yours. Deuteronomy 16 and 16. Every man as he is able. The Lord, even in the sacrificial system, if you could afford it, there were times that there were lambs. There were times there were bulls. There were times there were oxen. If you could afford it, there were times. But all the way down the scale, it went from... Bulls and lambs and goats, even turtle doves. But the Lord even said, even for the poorest of the poor, if you can only come with a handful of meal, don't come before me empty-handed. Oh, I know this is tough preaching. That's all right. Because I'm trying to make a point here. Many times... We want worship to be about convenience. We want to make it as easy. But what the Lord is saying, don't bring me something that don't cost you anything. And he's not requiring something you don't have either. 
You've heard me say this before. It burns me up, and you'll hear me say it again. It burns me up to watch TV and hear some of them televangelists talk about, bless God, a $1,000 seed breaks the back of the devil. That's garbage. I know good and well everybody ain't got a $1,000. But you know what God does said? He said, don't come before me empty-handed. Listen, if you ain't got $1,000, I understand that, but you got something. And again, I'm not just talking about money either. I'm talking about your time. I'm talking about your talent. I'm talking about anything that you have. God said, don't you come before me empty-handed. Don't you try to worship me easy. Don't you try to just worship me where it costs you nothing. Bring something to me. Even if all you can afford is a hand of meal. Even whatever it is, even if it seems small, that's okay. God knows your heart. God knows what you can and can't afford. But God needs you to give him something. Don't try to come in and make it easy. Don't try to come in and not give him anything. Mark 8 and 34, then he called the crown to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We've tried to change it. We've tried to change it into something easy and consumer friendly. We've tried to change it into something that we can convince people to come in because they'll get something and don't have to give anything. Well, that's not what I read about in here. Jesus said, if, if you're going to follow me, you've got to be willing to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. We must be willing. We must come to a mindset to say, I'm not going to give to God that which costs me nothing. And listen, please, before, before I even get the musicians or anybody else up here, I want you to hear my heart because I'm not just talking about money here. I'm talking about effort as well. I'm talking about we've got to the place where now as you, and I do, I do, I, I, I'll say it because there is some need in it and looking at statistics and everything. Now, most people statistically are considered a, a full-time worshiper, churchgoer, if they at least come two out of four Sundays. That's what we consider, you know, full-time now. My God, when I was growing up, full-time meant Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Every time the doors were open. And listen, I know, don't get me wrong, I know there's a whole debate. Does the Bible say, no, there's nothing about Sunday night in the Bible. I know that. But I'm just talking about where we've come now is that we might show up for Sunday morning if we don't have anything else pressing going on. 
you know, I, I'll make it to church, but, but if I don't, if, if, but I might have something come up and I might not be able to make it. Oh, I'm meddling now. That's all right. I'm just going to keep on meddling. I think I've told y'all before, I don't know how many excuses over the years, how many excuses that I have heard. Hey, missed you at church last night. Well, pastor, I mean, you just wouldn't believe some of the excuses that I've heard before. And I'm not saying, once again, I'm not saying you're going to die and go to hell if you miss church on a Sunday. No. But what I am saying is, listen, I understand. Sometimes, yeah, you wake up feeling good. You wake up and there's nothing else going on. You wake up, get purdied up and everything and come to church. Listen, there's some times where you're going to have to drag yourself out of the bed. You've had a long week. You've had a hard week. You don't feel like it. But because God has been so good to you. That you're going to get up anyway and put on your clothes and hopefully brush your teeth and get yourself into the house of the Lord to worship Him because He is worthy to be praised. I got a couple more minutes and I'm going to meddle. Years gone by. It was nothing to have weeks of revival. Weeks upon weeks. Seven days a week. Not just to then we got then we kind of moved on from that and it kind of started the, you know, Sunday through Wednesday or Sunday through Thursday and take off Friday and Saturday, come back Sunday. Now, I'm, I'm just going to be honest, even as a pastor, sometimes I'm scared to call revivals because you don't know if you can even get a, a, a Sunday morning through a Wednesday night anymore. That's all right. I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes it's tough to serve. Sometimes it's tough to go put yourself in a classroom full of five-year-olds. But I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Sometimes it's tough to make it to every service of a revival. But I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Why do we not have breakthrough like we used to? Well, because we don't really want to give anything like we used to. And one more time, I'm not just preaching about take money out of your head for a second. We ain't willing to pray anymore. We're not willing to come down. We're not willing to come down and spend time in these altars like we used to. We don't have time to pray through anymore. We've got to get up and go to work. Well, they worked too back then. But they stayed in the altars. And they prayed till they prayed through. My God, I told you, my meddling time is over. Stand with me if you will. I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. David had messed up. David let pride get in, get in his life. 
David's pride then cost. There was punishment. 70,000 people died. But after David had messed up, he wasn't going to continue to mess up. He knew that he needed to repent and he needed to do what was right. And when it came time to worship the Lord and sacrifice to God, he knew that he was not going to try to give God anything that didn't cost him anything. Now listen, I know that this has been a message all about giving to the Lord and giving to the Lord and, 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 and requiring something of you, but let me do, I, I can't leave this out. That you... Whether it be monetarily, whether it be time, no matter what resource it may be. I will continue this old cliche that is still true. You will never outgive God. Because whatever bit you give of yours to the Lord, God will bless you back many, many, many times over. God. This is, not a, this is not a bad investment here. And I hate to even call it an investment. But it truly is investing your life to the Lord. An investment means you're giving something. A sacrifice means there's sacrifice there. You, you are giving something that costs you something. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around right now. Lord, I know it's easy. I know it's easy for us. And we've, we've made it this way, God. And I've been a proponent. I've done it as well. I've been guilty as a pastor to trying to make it as easy as I can for members and churchgoers and visitors to come in and soak up a blessing and not ever cost them anything. But Lord, it's, it's not right. Lord, I know I'm, I'm all for being welcoming and loving. But, Lord, there comes a point in time where we can't try to be worshiping you and giving a sacrifice to you, something that has cost us nothing, because that's unbiblical. Lord, I know that to truly worship you, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us time. It's going to cost us talent. It's going to cost us some inconvenience sometimes. It's going to cost us maybe even not being able to do something that we really wanted to do, some fun thing, some something. And we sacrifice that instead. Lord, we've come to a place, Lord, and I, again, I stand here guilty. We've come to a place where we have stopped even asking people to give sacrificially. And Lord, I repent for that. And I ask that this morning that you would move in our hearts. You'd move in our lives today. And Lord, I know that, Lord, my, my preaching and I can't change anybody, but your word can and it will 
And I pray this morning that somebody here, their heart has been stirred. Their spirit has been stirred. And they're ready to say, Lord, I will not sacrifice that which cost me nothing. I pray, oh, Holy Ghost, you begin to prepare the hearts. I believe you already have. As I prepare to give this altar call, I pray that you just continue to prepare the hearts. In just a moment, I'm going to open this altar, and Lord, I pray that you just begin to deal with each one. You know what they need. You know you're working already. And I just ask that you continue to work, and you'd have your way. You'd do something great in these altars here today. In the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. If everybody would, just look at me for one moment. Here's my altar call this morning. Do you want this to be the cry of your heart? Would you put that title back up there one more time for me? That I will not give something that costs me nothing. Are you willing? Now listen, I don't want I don't want you to feel sorry for me. Saying, well, the pastor, I want to encourage the pastor a little bit, so I'll go ahead and go up there and kind of I don't do it for that reason. But if you're here and you mean it, and you say, Lord, I'm ready, I want my worship. I am willing, I am willing to sacrifice time, talents, fun sometimes. Because I want to worship you like you deserve to be worshipped. If that's you and that's your heart and the Lord's been dealing with you, these altars are open right now. And I want you to just come and find a place right here at these altars. If these altars are full, then come here to these steps. I just want you to kneel before the Lord. I want you to just come and kneel and just say, Lord, this is, this is me and I'm willing. I will not give you something that costs me nothing. I don't want to give you cheap worship anymore. I don't want to just give you what's convenient for me. I am willing and I am ready to worship you with stuff that costs me something. It may cost me time. It may cost me inconvenience. It may cost me, Lord, giving up of my talent. It may even cost some money. Lord, I pray that you just help us right now. In the name of Jesus, come on, y'all. Come on, find a place right here. There's room here. Come on and find a place right here. Find a place before the Lord as they begin to sing. We're just going to believe. I'm going to pray. Everybody here, I want you to just begin to worship the Lord. Just begin to pray and worship the Lord. We're giving to God what belongs to Him here today. Hallelujah. was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running out of time. Sin separated. The breach was far too wide. But from the far side of the castle, you held me in your sight. So you made a way across the great divide, left behind heaven's throne, 
For I 